Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and we're here today, as we always are, to help uh, nonprofits, profits, and um, others get broadband into all the places where it needs to be. Today, I'm broadcasting live from Memphis, Tennessee, where uh, we're getting queued up for the um, Delta Regional Authorities Broadband Summit, which kicks off to tomorrow. It's going to be a whole day of panel discussions, uh, looking at the progress of a variety of broadband projects that have been launched in the eight-state Mississippi Delta area. Uh, we'll be talking about economic development, uh, jobs, uh, and a number of other uh, key benefits that are starting to, to blossom in this region thanks to broadband. Uh, today, I'm very happy to have the chairman of the Delta Regional Authority, Chris Masongill, here as our guest. And we're going to do sort of a, a pre-summit, uh, you know, just sort of a ranging discussion on what's going on here, how things are changing, uh, improving for the better, thanks to broadband. So, Chris, thank you very much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate the invitation. Hello, Chris. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate the invitation. Hello, no worries. Greg. No worries. Yes, I'm um, here. Can you Yes, we seem to have had just a little bit of an echo issue here, but we're good to go. We're live now. Um, let's talk about the Delta region. To begin with, what's the um, states that are involved here? Which ones are we talking about? Well, the Delta Regional Authority, real quickly, is an eight-state, 252 counties and parishes, independent federal agency that works as a state-federal partnership uh, with the eight states that make up the Mississippi Delta region plus the Black Belt of Alabama. So when we say what are the DRA eight states, you've got Alabama, Arkansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Missouri. Mm -hmm. So we start basically at the southern tip of Illinois and go all the way down to uh, New Orleans, and then we take in uh, a good sec middle section of Alabama. Mm, okay. So that pretty much covers a pretty broad ranging uh, a number of communities, uh, economic divisions and groups and so forth. How do you kind of wrap a broadband effort together with so many different moving parts? Well, that's a very good question. You know, we have four congressional mandated areas uh, that we do economic and community development in. And as a part of our partnership, we look at things like basic public infrastructure. And in this case, we extend that uh, congressional mandate uh, in that category. Our second category is transportation. And then third, we do uh, business development with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. And then fourth, we look at uh, projects that impact workforce training and education. So as you can imagine, from my perspective, when you look at uh, the availability and adoption 
of broadband in our part of the world, we think it's pretty crucial for the overall economic health of our region, and it certainly impacts entrepreneurs and small businesses. It impacts workforce training and education. There's not a subject area that I don't think that broadband uh, deployment impacts in some great way. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what have been some of your, uh, I don't know, greatest wins or successes to date? We really try to work in a in a effort of collaboration and partnerships. Uh, we try to utilize our uh, resources to leverage other projects. And over the course of the 10 years, we're actually going into our 11th year, we've had nine years of federal investments, and we have uh, invested uh, a great deal in broadband-related uh, projects. Uh, we're working on uh, a couple uh, right now with uh, uh, Connect to Compete that you will hear more about uh, at the conference. I'm very excited about the announcement that's going to come with that. Uh, we've made uh, some preliminary investments in partnering uh, with that initiative, and we think it will have an impact on our part of the world. And we are helping in other ways with all of our states' efforts to increase their uh, their access and adoption and utilization of broadband uh, in every one of our states. In fact, this conference uh, came about because we have so many governors so focused on this issue, and with every one of our state's broadband initiative coordinators, they've been working collaboratively to put together the uh, the agenda Put together the uh, framework for this uh, this conference and this meeting tomorrow, and so they're, mm-hmm. they're the ones that really are to be patted on the back for all the hard work to try to make this happen, and then for also for this conferencing for this conference uh, coming about. Mm-hmm. Now, for the conference, for the conference or for the summit tomorrow, we've got a number of um, we've got a number of. Uh, folks coming in from the different states. Why don't you give us just maybe a, a preview of what's going to be covered tomorrow, which states are going to be highlighted? It's our hope that we'll get a chance to have updates uh, from our individual DRA state broadband uh, coordinators from all of our states. Uh, we're going. The panelists uh, that are on that uh, particular session is Jessica Dent representing Alabama, and then uh, Marie Bruno representing uh, Arkansas, and Drew Clark uh, representing Illinois, and then uh, Renee True uh, representing uh, Kentucky. So hopefully we'll get an opportunity to uh, to do that, and then uh, we're going to be uh, also uh, looking at uh, Tony Wilhelm, who is the director of our Broadband Technologies Opportunities Program at NTIA, to give us a good uh, sense of really what's happening, what's what's out there, and what's impacting our part of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were some of the I don't know the the hopes that were sort of driving this in the beginning? Like what were people's expectations and maybe more importantly uh how do uh you manage expectations so people don't you know sort of over anticipate or or get hyped up and then are later disappointed that's a good question you know our our whole goal uh, for this uh, conversation this this meeting uh, starting uh, in the morning it was to just get a, give us an opportunity to share information about what's happening we know that there's a lot of things going on with the individual state initiatives we know that there's a lot of things going on uh, from the uh, Washington perspective we know that we're all uh, waiting for the food farm and jobs bill to pass because there's significant resources in there that will have an impact 
on the programs that we're trying to implement throughout the region. And so how this thing came about is that we have a lot of governors focused on this issue. There's a lot of efforts on the ground, and we thought we needed to structure a conversation about what's happening in the DRA footprint, what's happening in the Delta region as it relates to the utilization and adoption and deployment of broadband in our part of the world because it has such an impact on businesses and our economy. And so we're really taking an open mind, and and this is really an opportunity to share what's happening, what's coming down the pike, what are some good examples, what are the impacts of uh, uh, broadband on jobs and education. And so getting us an opportunity to basically share information. So really our expectation is to come away with a better understanding of what's happening in uh, happening in the uh, individual states that make up the DRA footprint, and for us to have a better understanding of what's uh, what the future holds. Mm-hmm. Um, just one thing, uh, Chris, as a technical uh, thing, do you have your computer speaker on on your end? I do not. I don't have my computer on at all. Okay, because uh, I'm getting this, this like this delayed effect. I'm not sure if it's coming through to the audience or not, but we're trying to to fix it here as we go. Um, Anyway, well, is there something I can do to help on on my end? No, I think we're I think we're just gonna have to work through this one. Um, they're they're trying to check at the customer service folks are trying to sort it out, and we'll just keep on going. Um, Sorry about that. That's that's okay. One of the questions I think early on, or that that's top of people's mind, is that when you not you you, but when when a, when a community when you're when you're trying to put together an effort, a statewide effort or whatever, when you have really poor uh, communities, low-income communities, it is hard mm-hmm. to figure out a financial sustainability model that works. And, you know, in, in part because there's not a lot of people there, there's not a lot of businesses there, there's not a lot of the typical customers that provide subscriptions right. to, in more populated areas or more affluent areas. How do you plan to address the financial sustainability for the long term? I mean, or will it have to always be an issue of raising money for grants and that kind of thing? Well, I think there's a couple of uh, key points. Uh, one is, from our perspective, just from a a policy perspective, from from my end as the federal co-chair. Here's a couple of things. One is is that we we need to continue to work together to develop incentives and policies that encourage telecommunication to be provided to provide broadband access to every American and public institution in our communities. In the 252 counties and parishes that make up the DRA region, we feel like that is a very important piece of it. Uh, we know that we will have more of an effort to do that as we see the food farm and, and jobs bill uh, come uh, come about uh, along with what some other initiatives are happening. I, I think the the biggest thing to keep in mind is that we're, we're going to have to really think about this thing in a long-term, ongoing partnership between the public sector and the private sector uh, to make this happen. Because from our perspective, the realization is, is this is an infrastructure investment, just like we did with electricity, just like we did with roads, and bridges and rail, same kind of principle concept from my perspective has to continue to be applied in in this regard as well because we're talking about an opportunity to increase our economy, create jobs, and we know that these investments help do that. We know that when you invest in accessibility and expansion of broadband, it helps create jobs. 
We've mm-hmm. seen that. We've seen that in multiple studies uh, throughout the course of the last 10 years on what broadband happens. We know that you have increased employment. You know you have increased businesses. You know you have uh, an increase in local economies because of the investments in broadband. And so we need to continue to make those investments for the foreseeable future. And, in fact, we need to find ways to double down, and we need to find ways to increase that partnership and collaboration with the private sector, and we need to be leading uh, leading the charge uh, to make sure we have a long-term uh, partnership and collaboration until we can get to, to the goal. And the mm-hmm. goal is obviously to make sure we have a the kind of adoption and utilization uh, that uh, that really meets uh, meets what everybody is really hoping to do. Mm-hmm. Now, recently, I just conducted a, a national survey of economic development professionals. Yeah, with to, IADC, right? Yes, that one. And, Great stuff. Uh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. It uh, it came up with some really interesting um, feedback. I mean, one thing I probably should point out is that it wasn't done as a sort of a statistically or demographically accurate breakdown of the U.S. I mean, it was it was a controlled group. Uh, some would say it was you know it wasn't necessarily representative of the U.S. But what I think it was reflective of is that the issues. I think it was reflective of the issues that the typical economic development professional has to deal with when they're trying to mm-hmm. uh, develop uh, broadband plans, when they're trying to execute and get these networks installed, and when they're trying to support them with programs that facilitate the access, meaning that you don't only just get people online, but you have to give them a certain amount of support to, to make them productive users of the network. And um, with that as a backdrop, I want to go over a couple of those questions and see what your thoughts are from your observation. Sure. Um, w- one of the things we looked at was, um, you know, we, we looked at which economic outcomes, and they got a list of six uh, that they were assessing, you know, would wireless have value would uh would fiber have a direct impact at the high end in other words the the one outcome that everybody seemed or the most people seem to support you know as something that broadband can impact uh attracting businesses and making local businesses more uh competitive were at the top of the list however conversely the the, the same folks didn't necessarily feel in high numbers that broadband would be effective at revising depressed communities and um, depressed business districts. And to me, that's odd because I would think that if you put in a fiber network in, or even even just a high-speed network, whether it's fiber or direct wireless or whatever, that you would impact the ability of that community to get back on its feet. Do you have any thoughts on, on how, how that would, you know, with with economic development professionals, why we got that result? Yeah, you know, I found that interesting too. I, th- I think the numbers was like sixty four percent. We kind of rejected that uh, that that idea. And and what I would say to my my uh, my colleagues in the economic development world is that you you got to look at it as an area of of competitiveness. You've got areas in our community in the 252 counties and parishes. We've got some of the most impoverished places in the country and in some places in the world. You can't outpour me in a policy conversation about the issues that we face in our part of the world. And I assure you, one of the solutions to help address those types of communities is making sure we have the infrastructure for them to be competitive because this is an issue that impacts education, delivery of health care, and needs 
our economic development ingredients in the formula to be success, to have that kind of success. And all economic developers understand that when communities are trying to attract new businesses or or give the ability for an expansion, they're always looking at their infrastructure needs. And so you cannot take off the table when you're looking at infrastructure like you like you look at a rail spur or an access road or or access to a four-lane uh, highway. You know, there used to be a school of thought in economic development that only thing your community needed was a four-lane highway. Well, we we know that that's not necessarily true. You may be on a four-lane highway, but what did it do to your downtown? That's not the issue. The issue is the broader situation of being competitive, and that's why it's so important that we make sure that we have the ultimate utilization, adoption, and deployment of broadband in all of our communities, in all of our counties and parishes in the Delta region, and quite frankly, in the country, because it is a matter of being competitive. We know that manufacturing is coming back to this country, and quite frankly, it's coming back to the South in rural America. This is an issue that is a part of that formula. We talk about making sure that our kids have the have the ability to be successful and be competitive in education, you cannot have that kind of level of success and competitiveness unless you have the kind of infrastructure, broadband infrastructure, high-speed Internet, so we can compete around the world. So the implications of what the access and the adoption and utilization of high-speed Internet does to our people is significant. And so how I, you know, although I understand where many of our economic development professionals are coming from because the issue is is very large and it is a costly endeavor and there are so many things that they have to tackle but when mm-hmm. a, when a company decides to come to a community or a part of the region one of the first questions they always ask is what is the educational attainment of your people how trainable are they and then by the way the second question ironically now that we're hearing from businesses and industry is how healthy is your community? Well, I can assure you of this. If you don't have infrastructure, broadband infrastructure for your health community and your educational professionals to really help your community and your people be more educated and and be healthier, which we know through also studies that now we're talking about the ability for a surgeon to sit in the capital city and then be able to look at uh, various medical records or, or x-rays or various things and be able to talk about surgeries on an infant. These are incredible advances, and you can't do that if the community doesn't have access to that. And that's why it's so important we continue to build the kind of infrastructure because this is an economic development issue. And I would encourage my uh, my uh, friends and colleagues in the economic development world to, to make sure that this is on the forefront of the kinds of conversations that they have in their local community. If you're a local economic developer in a rural community, these are questions and issues that you've got to continue to address. But sometimes it can be so overwhelming because economic development is bigger than just – necessarily job creation right it is it is Mm -hmm. a process it is a system it is a marathon and not a sprint and one of the key pillars and core ingredients to be successful is that you got to make sure that you have access to high-speed internet and to be competitive with your Mm -hmm. with your neighbors with your states and other countries because we're in a 21st century global economy and the way that you do that is through technology 
So okay. I, I understand why they they say it. I understand uh, some of the issues that they face. I think 11% of those folks uh, responded with that uh, that same uh, kind of perspective. And yes, it's it's not a silver bullet, right? There's no one silver bullet, but the things that do move our economy forward. The things that do move our ability for our people to be better educated and to be healthier is the kind of technologies that broadband broadband uh-huh. brings to our part of the world. So it 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 is uh, certainly a part of that formula, and I I would continue to stress that to my uh, friends and colleagues in the profession. Mm-hmm. I am actually in, in listening to your question. I'm, I'm actually pulled in two directions. Uh, at once in terms of a uh, question I want to get. So I'm going to ask one and hope I don't forget the other one. So the the one sure. thing is uh, health care, uh, quality of health care, delivery of health care. Um, I don't hear very many people talking about this as an economic development issue, and you have brought that up. Help me. Um, tell, my, tell my audience, you know, how big of a deal is this when we're talking about economic development that we marry to the question of its solutions, you know, um, leading-edge healthcare delivery has got to be part of that equation. Well, we know in our part of the world, uh, particularly when you look at the 252 counties and parishes that make up the DRE footprint, uh, we still have the majority of our people living in rural communities. And every rural community is not going to have a major surgical center. We know that people drive a long ways for access to affordable quality health care. And as a result of that, we know that the DRA region has one of the the largest underutilized uh, areas of access to health care in the nation. And we know we, we have shortage of healthcare professionals, physicians, nurses, you name it. And quite frankly, the other issue uh, that we're battling uh, from time to time is we're trying to prevent the closure of existing hospitals, which is why it was so important that we that we saw the advancement of the Affordable Care Act, because it is such a huge, huge benefit and will have such a huge impact on our rural communities, on our rural hospitals, and that's why I'm a very uh, strong believer in the Affordable uh, Care Act. I think that's why it's so important because it is directly connected to this issue. And when you talk about the ability for someone, let's just say, uh, in a rural part of uh, Mississippi or Louisiana or Tennessee, you name it, Arkansas, you don't have a local hospital. Uh, but you have a a health clinic mm-hmm. or one of our rural health clinics, which is so important and so vital. The ability for them to share medical uh, records, medical information, and for physicians to be able to uh, communicate to to specialists, and we and we know that this is happening. We we know that there are examples of of individuals, particularly uh, uh, as it relates to uh, pregnancies, as it relates to even uh, high-end surgeries. They're sharing medical information and being able to make a decision uh, to determine what to do with that patient, where to take that patient, or if they can be handled right there where they are. And so being able to deliver deliver that kind of information uh, through uh, through the kind of uh, technologies that we're talking about is is critically important. And here's an important thing to remember: mm-hmm. two of the 
Go three and go four. The national broadband plan impacts our region probably uh, the most. The, the fourth one, and, and you're familiar with it, that making sure that uh, the broadband anchor institutions such as schools, hospitals, and government buildings. But when you drill down into that, what's important is 71% of rural health clinics say that they have uh, the ability to have access to mass market broadband solutions, and that that. That's an issue because we need to make sure that we provide that kind of technologies for them to have the kind of medical services to make the kind of medical decisions either in real time or an emergency situation that ultimately benefit our people in our part of the world. And for us not to be able to have the ability to do that uh, definitely puts us back. It puts us, again, in a non-competitive posture. And so if I'm a, a a business wanting to relocate, am I going to relocate to a community that doesn't, act, doesn't, doesn't have uh, adequate access to affordable quality health care? No. That is an issue that business and industries face all the time. Here's a good example, the, the Mo Broadband Now. You know, they gave grants out to uh, rural Mississippi hospitals so they can uh, – Missouri, excuse me uh, – it's called Mo Broadband Now, and they mm-hmm. gave uh, grants to about 11 rural uh, Missouri hospitals that the whole goal was to provide better care through improved connections for telemedicine. And this is a significant in- initiative, one that will will have an impact on the health of our people. And that's that's just one that just kind of came to me as we were sitting here talking because it's it's gotten such a a, a great uh, uh, recognition for that effort and and that's one of many. I mean, we DRA has helped invest in uh, several uh, medical healthcare related uh, projects so we could have increased uh, access to telemedicine. It is the wave of the future. You're seeing physicians talk about this more and more. Physicians want this kind of ability. They can sit in a unique surgical unit in one place and be able to communicate and deal with these issues in a rural part of the community. That saves on health care costs. It helps deliver uh, better medicine. And as a result, our people have access to that, and they're healthier. And in some cases, it saves their lives. Mm-hmm. So it, this is a critical component to this conversation, uh, along with the education. I, those two, in my mind, are, are really the the two biggest arguments and rationales for making sure that we do everything we can to increase the, the access, adoption, and uh, utilization of broadband in our part of the world, education and delivery of health care. Okay. Now, in, um, in uh, one of the... Uh Oh, one of the pages somewhere in my in my survey report, I talked about a community, uh, Danville, Danville, Virginia, and how Danville, um, how Danville built using the the major medical facility, the clinics in the area, and the physicians basically built a network facilitated by broadband that enabled all of those medical entities and professionals to work together. And what they created was that world-class type of uh, healthcare service that you're talking about. And and indeed, they have found it to be valuable drawing in new businesses because they put that right up front and center. You know, we're using the latest technology and we're coordinated and your doctor is connected with this facility and this facility is connected with these facilities outside of our region all because of broadband. And they find it to be a, uh, a winning combination. 
And so clearly, you know, um, I mean, I'm saying this, you know, there's a sort of a, you know, validation point that, you know, what you're talking about is, is true, that if you look at this as a competitive issue in the sense of, you know, businesses have X, you know, amount of dollars, they can either put that into moving into city A or town B. And these factors become part of the landscape or part of the discussion or decision-making process and it just basically comes down to they can either come here or they can go somewhere else. And you, as a community, would prefer they come to your community. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that I would add to that is when you start breaking that down into the demographics and understanding that the impact that this have that this has on sometimes the poorest of the poor of our communities, the, the impact that it has on our minority population, making sure that we give every one of our citizens access to that kind of level of education and health care, regardless of where they live, regardless of their economic situation, regardless of the color of their skin. We know that uh, less than 50% of African Americans, Latinos, elderly, and rural populations uh, currently have the kind of utilization in broadband that we want. And we need to make sure we continue those efforts. And, and this this does make our people healthier and it does make us more competitive when it comes to creating jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you you know this better than I do, but just in terms of of the most recent studies, and it continues to reinforce that, is that when communities invest and partner and try to go after this this mass market broadband uh, availability and increase. Uh, these types of technologies, it has an impact on employment. It has an impact on business growth. It has an impact on the community's economy. And it seems to me that that's pretty smart investing. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do about um, documenting the success? Because one of the uh, things that seems to be an issue when, like, if I get, will get the call from an economic development uh, agency and they're saying, okay, we're at the beginning part of our planning process. And the problem that we're having is that no one can find data. No one can find yeah. uh, proof that this broadband stuff works. And they get all exasperated because they feel like there's no documentation there. Now, I know that in Chattanooga, you know, they now they've got their network up and running, and they've been at this for a while, and so forth. They've put they're putting a system in place to document its success. How are the, the states, or at least what have you seen uh, in your area, where people are doing this kind of documentation? How are they doing it? You know, in essence, how are they making the case or presenting the, or pulling together the proof so that others can learn from their successes? Well, I think uh, I think we are seeing some good uh, progress. You know, we just saw uh, here uh, the uh, the broadband progress report uh, here recently. I think the way that they're trying to capture that information uh, makes sense. I think that our uh, Broadband state coordinators understand the importance of making sure we're capturing the output and outcomes of these various initiatives. It, it is going to continue to be important uh, in this type of climate, both politically and economically, that uh, there is real value in 
coming up with the appropriate and accurate strategies to to make sure that we're documenting that because that's how we we prove that these investments continue to make an impact either it's on business and making sure their correlation between the investments that we made on the infrastructure and their direct link to helping to create more jobs and uh, we do that in a couple of ways at DRA we one where, one of the ways we do it is is what's called a participation agreement. And that way we document it, we go back in, we talk to the business and industries, we hold them accountable uh, for uh, the job creation that's tied directly to an investment in in uh, increasing their uh, uh, their infrastructure that may be related to uh, the increased access to broadband Internet. Uh, so there are mechanisms in place to do that. And I think what's important about that question is that I think you're seeing a real understanding of why it's so important to, to make sure that we've got the kind of documentation on the outcomes and outputs for every one of these uh, types of initiatives and investments. And it's on both sides of that coin, right? The initiative mm-hmm. overall and then the investments. And and we're in an environment now that you've got to be able to show accountability for both of those. So if you're going to have uh, this uh, this broadband initiative, you've got to be able to show uh, evidence-based measures as a result of that energy and resources that you're using to uh, to move that forward. Mm-hmm. Now, I assume that this um, holding the folks accountable is always a positive thing, right? <laughs> well, it, it it can be. Hopefully, so you know, so far that's I've seen nothing but good things. But uh, I would uh, imagine that uh, you've got to be uh, willing to uh, to look at the uh, the information that may not be so favorable. And 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 we all know just by uh, the, the kind of uh, work that we're in, not every project is going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so you've just got to recognize that and and understand how to how to improve it, uh, how to change it, how to take a step back and and projects and programs all the time need to be reevaluated. They need to to uh, take another look at their implementation and and that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing to make sure we're on a regular basis hitting the pause button and taking an evaluation of where we are. This is what we set out to accomplish, but this is where we are at the midpoint. And what are the other benchmarks that we need to have in place? to make sure that we're being accountable for not only the investment, but the expectations. Mm-hmm. And, and I would agree. I mean, if I can, you know, from when I when I really truly got on my soapbox, this issue of holding the people that you give money to, you know, whether it's the state that's funding or the federal government is funding, you know, holding the people that are given money uh, to be accountable for certain deliverables, to me, is one of the lackings of things such as the, uh, Universal Service Fund. I mean, we've given billions of dollars to companies, and I'm not sure that we've done the evaluation, held their feet to the fire, because it's all taxpayer money. I mean, in the end, right. no matter how that right. Universal Service Fund gets fed, it is ultimately coming from those of us, businesses and individuals, that uh, you know use uh, use these services, that use the telephone services that collects the money that it goes in. And we had the broadband stimulus program, of which a bunch of people, you know, uh, justifiably got money for, uh, you know, for their various projects. But that issue of accountability to me is just paramount because I think that that opens up, that leaves people like you vulnerable and and the people that you work with vulnerable to attacks. When well, you know, we spent all this money. What did we get? You know, we spent this you money, bet. and such and such didn't deliver in our community, our county, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. You know, you don't really want to have to be dealing with those kind of calls. You want to be dealing with, you know, oh, this works great, and how can we get it to other places? Kinds of calls, 
And I think that, um, you know, the, the word that I would send out to others doing what you guys are doing is, is to definitely hold them accountable and not worry about it if they fret and moan a little bit sometimes. No, I think I think that's a a great point, and, and, and it's Craig, right? Did I say Craig. your name right, Craig? Okay, I just I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, you're you're right you're right on point, and the bottom line in for any program of this nature is that we ought to expect outcomes. We ought to expect a level of accountability. This is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. We have a responsibility back to the taxpayer, to the states, the citizens, to make sure that we are being accountable, transparent, and responsible every step of the way. And that's why you have to make sure we have these conversations on the front end about expectations, what you're going to get out of this, what we hope to achieve, and that that is directly tied to measurable uh, pieces that we can see along the way of the implementation uh, continuum. And you've got to be accountable, and uh, that's just the, the way uh, you've got to do business, and there's there's no way to uh, get around that. But, but these types of projects, I think, are so good about providing a level of accountability and providing a le- level of outcomes and outputs because they're so tangible. These projects, in my mind, are very tangible. Uh, unlike some other programs that are trying to, you know, when you talk about education and increasing the educational attainment, that's a very difficult issue. And there's all kinds of policies uh, that impact that. But when I think about broadband, when I think about increasing uh, utilization and adoption and, and access of these broadband technologies, this is real tangible to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and, uh, and, I like those type of projects because it makes it a lot easier to go to the governor, to go to your your members of Congress, to go to your uh, state policy uh, leaders, and go look here. We know here's the gap, and this is where we got to get to. And when we get to that, this is what that's going to mean. And we know how many communities we're uh, providing new access to. And so, in my mind, th- these are projects that are very tangible. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to put you in peer counseling mode here for a second. Uh, last week, I think it was, I got a call from a listener who said that um, he's he's an economic development consultant and mm-hmm. said the problem that he faced was if he goes into the, I think it was county officials, county commissioners, um, and says, you know, we want to do this broadband project because it um, will help uh, home-based businesses, right? And in fact, that was one of the things that was indicated in the survey, my survey, that was beneficial, right? Everybody was behind the idea of, of supporting home-based businesses. And he said the problem that he ran into was that the city officials or the county officials were locked into a mindset that unless it, unless a project brought in tax dollars, property tax dollars, whether or not you were attracting you know, six-figure executives to spend extra weeks spending money in your community, whether you had, you know, all these home-based businesses breaking out left, right, and center, even though those were all things that benefited people economically, which by default then comes out and benefits other businesses in the community, they -hmm. were just locked into it's either property taxes or we don't want to talk about it. How does an economic development person, who I have to assume gets very flustered in that kind of situation, how do you get past that? Because I think I would, I would be pulling my hair out if, if I had to deal with those kinds of minds sitting across the table from me. But they are the elected well, officials. 
That is a part of being a a professional local economic developer because <laughs> when you start no I mean listen they have to deal with this issue on multiple fronts when you're sitting there as a professional economic developer oftentimes your job is dependent on how many jobs have you created in a year mm-hmm. and the reality of it is is that as we as economic development professionals we know that that is only one component of the of the multiple responsibilities that a professional economic developer has when he's working for a local community or a regional economic development agency or even the state economic development is not just about the pure numbers of how many jobs you can say that you've created it's it's more than that and part of that responsibility is the ongoing education and communication to your to your board or to your stakeholders getting them to understand the connection of what you're trying to do because you got to lay some groundwork right so if you're talking about uh, making sure that you have a program in place to keep the businesses that you have well your business retention uh, plan is something that you've got to educate your stakeholders about because they may not understand well why are you spending so much money or resources on the ones we got you need to be out there doing marketing well yeah that's one component you do that too but if you don't protect the ones you have you're sure in the heck not going to uh, do a very good job of attracting new ones because if you get about the ones you have when the new ones talk to them they're going to know that and so you always have to have a primary focus on making sure you're paying attention to the businesses and industry that you have in your community same kind of concept here when you're trying to put together something that a lot of people don't understand it's complicated. It's technical in nature. There has to be a process as a professional economic developer to take your stakeholders through that process. And as a part of doing that, as part of that exercise, you got to make sure that you have information too, right? So if you're creating a new broadband initiative for your local community, you need to do those preliminary things that are so important. Find out who's impacted. Who do you need to have? As a part of uh, as a part of your advocacy group, uh, to make sure that you're you're bringing people to the table that can help you deliver that information and share that information with elected officials and and uh, your local your local board. Uh, I, I can tell you, I've been in situations where uh, oftentimes uh, elected officials, well, why are we doing X, Y, and Z? Uh, well. You got to take them through that because they're they're being held accountable too, right? Mm-hmm. Voters are, are holding them accountable, so as a result, they're going to hold you accountable, and they should they should be asking you these kinds of questions. Yeah, it it, it makes you want to pull your hair out. It can be frustrating sometimes, and you're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? But the reality of it is, is that you're dealing with people. You're dealing with people from all kinds of walks of life, and when you're in, a, in an economic development uh, position, one of your jobs is to make sure that you're balancing all of the all of your stakeholders, your community stakeholders, your business stakeholders, your elected officials, and that that takes a lot of time and energy because not everybody's going to buy off on your plan. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make sure you have your information together. So if you're talking about, hey, we really need to move forward in our community with a broadband strategy, then you need to be able to tell them why. Mm-hmm. You need to have the information and the research in hand to go. And this is what we hope to accomplish. When we're doing economic development, we see this as a as a real weakness in our community, and this is something that we need to address. Mm-hmm. We've got a brand-new industrial park, but guess what? Our industrial park doesn't have access to T1 lines. So what are we going to do about that? Mm-hmm. 
And so you start making those connections of why the investment is important, and you have to just you have to walk through those tough questions. And and sometimes it is uh, frustrating and irritating, and you wish you didn't have to do it, but you do. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that um, in this last two years of doing the survey, I have touched on is the home-based business angle. Um, not to be mm-hmm. confused with telecommuters, people who you know work from home using the internet, but people who basically start a business either as a you know they're out of work and they started, they are already employed, but they want to have something on the side or they want to transition to something else, so they'll start a business at home. And um, I started putting the question in, well, does broadband impact that? And one of the answers that people had a choice of was, do programs need to be in place to somehow facilitate the process? And I drew that question from a conversation I had in Tennessee or with with some folks in Pulaski, Tennessee, where they talked about a series of programs to make entrepreneurs better, you know, the first-time entrepreneur, you know, basic accounting, basic marketing basic online marketing. In other words, they they sat back and said, okay, it's it's not enough just to give them the access and a wish and a prayer that you have to create these these programs. Even though they cost money, in the long run you have a more productive, a greater chance of having more successful entrepreneurs. Do you see that and what kinds of programs have you seen put in place to support uh, the entrepreneurs, maybe the home-based businesses? Yeah, I think that is actually uh, uh, right on point right now because uh, we're actually addressing some of these issues uh, because we're seeing projects that come in that want to do several of these things. You've got a lot of entrepreneurs that that particularly – well, there's the thing you have to, to take a step back and, and recognize with small businesses is that there's different types of small businesses and entrepreneurs, right? There's the lifestyle, and that's that's one particular type. And then the entrepreneur that's really looking to, to get a business accelerated and, and turn it into the next uh, Walmart or Tyson or, or whatever the case may be is a completely different type. But one of the things that we're trying to do, which, by the way, the Delta Regional Authority, we've put a, a whole new uh, focus on our small business development and entrepreneurship. That's one of my chairman's priorities. I think it is a core ingredient to help uh, move forward our economies. Every small community, every community in our footprint can have a strategy to help grow small businesses and help their local entrepreneurs. And Mm -hmm. one of the ways that we're finding is through a partnership with the Small Business Development and Technology Centers. Every state has a series of small business development centers. And one of the things that they have been educating me about is that small business owners are busy. Entrepreneurs are busy. They don't always necessarily have time to leave their businesses and come sit down for an eight-hour class at a different location someplace. Uh And so what we're seeing is this transition into a lot of those entrepreneur small business training courses being offered online. Mm-hmm. And making sure that they have access to the kind of connectivity uh, is incredibly important, and uh, we're actually uh, helping to uh, to to drive that uh, even more because we are seeing a real need. Uh, we're seeing a response from the entrepreneurs and small businesses that that's for them would be better uh, utilization. And a lot of our entrepreneurs, our younger entrepreneurs, they're obviously tech savvy, and mm-hmm. they would have a better opportunity to actually sit in front of their computer and take this information on their time frame at their speed and being able to have access to it. It would still help them move forward to be 
being a successful business owner or a successful entrepreneur because a lot of that basic training you can do. Uh, in fact, we've been investing in a project called Operation Jumpstart. It's being coordinated by a gentleman by the name of Dr. James Stapleton uh, at the Southeast uh, Missouri University. And uh, we he's one of our key advisors. Uh, and one of the policy frameworks that we've put in place is to really invest in Operation Jumpstart to create this network and pipeline of, of entrepreneurs. And one of the things that we're doing is creating this next stage, which is going to be an online component uh-huh. for folks who can't get to the training locations, but they can still have access to that information uh, online. And so that's the next evolution of this is to increase the ability for our people to access that information. And the best way to do it is through uh, technology. And you can do that in, in some, some places uh, individuals have more of an ability to do that than others, and so yeah, it, it, I, I think it's a I think it's a good next step. I think it's the kind of thing that, that also reinforces the importance of making sure that we have the kind of technology in the ground that can provide us uh, access to high speed internet broadband. Mm-hmm. Now another uh, topic that uh, I have focused on increasingly in the last couple of years has been the issue of helping people improve their personal wealth. And that's always mm-hmm. a tricky one to put on paper because people assume that you're talking about, you know, you're running some sort of, you know, uh, one of these realize your inner potential kinds of, you know, new wave, uh, new age kind of seminar. And I say, mm-hmm. well, no, but but the, but the real but the reality is, if you look at the person, you know, the individual, and what it is you're really trying to do at the end, you're trying, to, you know, as much as you can improve their ability to earn a buck, whether as an entrepreneur, as a professional, as a beginning worker, or even a transitioning worker from one industry to another industry, as much as you can do to improve that person's ability to make a buck, you know, putting it to its bottom line, you are impacting in a positive way your local economic picture. Is that on base, off base? What do you think? Um. I want to make sure that I understand what you're what uh, what what you're telling me. So help help connect the dots for me again on on that on that uh, that particular perspective. Well, let, let's put it this way. So um, you can give a person access to the internet, mm-hmm. but it's, it's almost the same as the home based business you know that we just talked about. It's yes. not enough just to bring them into the world of technology. What you really want to think about is. How can they use that technology to improve their ability to earn a living or to increase the amount that they can they, they, they can earn, whether it's through um, improving their professional skills, mm-hmm. their general worker mm-hmm. skills, uh, or their entrepreneurial skills? In essence, what you're the, the line that you're looking at is you know I, I, you know as the economic development person is I've got a bunch of people in the community. Half of them may be you know unemployed, underemployed. If right. I do programs online that can help them uh, earn uh, a better paycheck or earn more money as an entrepreneur, that has a positive impact on the economics of my community. It's a thought pattern, I guess, that I'm sort of putting right. out. Is that an appropriate thought pattern to have? Because I don't think people either talk about in those in those regards or they even think about it like that. 
No, I, I completely agree with you, Craig. I think I think you're right on point for laying some additional uh, foundation for why this issue is so important. I mean, a- absolutely. When you, when you when you talk about the ability for an individual to improve their circumstance, one of the tools that they can do that is through technology. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have the kind of connectivity, if they're if they're living in in rural Mississippi Delta and they're trying to improve their status in life, one of the ways that they can do that is is all of the resources and things that are available to them through education, through, in fact, commerce, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about the commerce of broadband in this in this regard. The same kind of situation. We, we have actually seen projects. Uh, in fact, uh, an initiative called Delta Made, uh, which is one that that uh, we've supported a lot, and and a lot of those uh, businesses are home based businesses that sell mm-hmm. their products online. Mm-hmm. But I've I've heard on several occasions that it can be difficult, right? The connectivity is an issue, and then how do we how do we deal with that? How do we run my business? How do you run an online business? Well, that in and of itself is an opportunity for people to grow as a business owner. It is a legitimate business that creates uh, economic return, and you're seeing more and more of that, and, uh-huh. which I think is another core justification of continuing to make the kind of investments in the technologies to make sure we have not just the access. And and that's, a, that's an issue sometimes in and of itself. People tell me, hey, access is not the problem. You've got access. Well, that's true in some regard. I mean, I, I think in the main, yeah, you've got access, but what kind of access? Uh-huh. That's the, <laughs> what kind of access does somebody in in, uh, in in rural Arkansas have? You know, do do tell me the kind of access, and then when you take it to the next step about the adoption and utilization, those are all very very critical, and. It, it amazes me sometimes when you're talking to policy uh, makers and and the policy experts, and they're trying to talk to you about this issue. And and to me, I try to put a face on it. Mm-hmm. I try to 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 bring it down to okay, if I, I if I'm if I'm sitting in in Cleveland, Mississippi, I'm sitting in Clarksdale, Mississippi, where we try to help actually bring uh, WiMAX. Uh, we're, we pil- we're piloting a project right now uh, that we're providing a, a WiMAX wireless uh, uh, connectivity in that part of the world to government. We that's actually how we uh, we get our uh, access to the internet is is through this technology and infrastructure that we've we've invested in. Mm-hmm. And you're you're having that conversation. It is much more than just trying to say, "Hey, you know, the folks in the big city they've got access to it." And and uh, why in the world do we need to extend that to to rural America? The companies can't make any money. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you're seeing now is that you're seeing a, a different uh, change of perspective in that with businesses that are in this in this market. You're seeing new strategies put in place because they recognize the potential. The more folks that you can actually increase access that understand the importance of the utilization and adoption, then that's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's not about uh, uh you know the the smart guy graduating from uh from college. Well, you know what? We got to make sure that we bring that all the way down the line. 
everybody needs to have a good understanding of how to use the internet how to how to uh, recognize the benefits and in in the and the, uh, the uh, tools that are available to them to make their their situation a little better i can tell you i know several families that they try to for their tools for their young people to have uh, a better uh, success in school, they utilize local libraries because they do not have the ability at home to have the kind of access and the kind of uh, utilization that they would like, either because of the expense or because of other technical issues, and they utilize, in this case, uh, a local library. Uh-huh. That's why it's important that we make sure that particularly our government institutions, uh, our hospitals, they've They've got access to this kind of technologies, and we've got to make sure our schools are leading are leading in the ability of moving forward with these kind of technologies. It's, it's going to be slow rolling, and those who can afford it get it. But those who can't should not be punished and be held back and not given the same opportunity to be successful to change their status in life for their families, for their children, for the future, because it has an economic impact on their life. And so that's why I'm just such a big believer in this issue. It's connection to economic development. It's mm-hmm. connection to job creation. And quite frankly, the connection of our people to be successful. And we mm-hmm. need to make sure we provide an opportunity for everyone. Now, I have we got about two minutes, three minutes left here. I want to try to get one question from my audience that's been out there. And maybe I'll get to another question. If not today, I'll definitely hit on hit on it tomorrow. Um, have you gotten any cooperation from the Clinton Global Initiative with any of the Delta projects? I cannot uh, speak to one specifically, uh, but I'm sure that we have. We work uh, uh, with uh, – actually, uh, we participate in the uh, – Clinton Global Initiative of America, CGI America, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we talk about it how it, it, its relationship to uh, small business and entrepreneurship, and always in the course of that conversation, technology is a part of that access uh, to uh, to broadband because of uh, the issue of competitiveness and the the issue of commerce. Uh, it's always a part of that conversation. I cannot uh, think of a specific project without. Uh, uh, doing a little bit of research myself, but I'll be happy to do that. If you want to uh, provide me with that uh, uh, contact information, I'll be happy to uh, track that down. Uh, as you can imagine, I don't manage all the projects, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, we'll certainly be happy to uh, to circle back with you. We have we do have a lot of things going on uh, with CGI America, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I personally participate uh, every year, and uh, and obviously it's it's uh, it's something that we take uh, very seriously. Okay. We've got two and a half minutes. I'm going to put you under high pressure. Two minutes. Do you guys, are you guys actively encouraging communities to build their own infrastructure, particularly in places where the private sector maybe has not, they they don't see the business case and they're not going? Two minutes, though, two minutes. (laughs) Uh, One more time. I didn't hear the first part of that. I'm sorry. Is, is, Is DRA encouraging communities to build their own infrastructure? broadband infrastructure, particularly in places where um, there there may not be private sector involvement in a community? I think it continues to have to be developed through partnerships. I think you have to look at your own situation and see what makes sense. I do believe that government investment in broadband deployment helps create jobs both in the short term and middle term, Uh, and I think uh, providing uh, crucial access for our communities through the Delta 
needs to continue to be a priority. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So we'll, you know, we'll hopefully my audience, you know, all you folks that are listening, will tune in tomorrow on the uh, the, the panel sessions that are going to be at the DRA summit. Broadband Summit. We're going to pick up a lot of the questions that were here on the show and ask them of our panelists tomorrow, who are various people involved in different projects in the state. So I encourage everybody um, come to my blog or come to the radio station. I'll put a link out to the show, not to the show, to the summit tomorrow, so you can catch the live stream of that. Um, Chris, I want to thank you for your time and your participation. Uh, this has been a great session. I'm looking forward to tomorrow because it's going to be really high-powered all day long. And I know you're you're speaking. I think you're moderating a session as well. So we'll be we'll be getting it done tomorrow, no doubt. But thank you for today's uh, participation in the show. It really has been uh, very rewarding uh, listening to your to your comments. Craig, thank you very much. I'm honored to participate, and I appreciate you being a part of the summit and coming and and uh, hosting this show uh, from Memphis. Uh, this is a very, very important issue to our part of the world, and I and I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Glad to be here. So we will talk soon, uh, as in a few hours. And for um, the audience, thank you for listening today. Uh, we'll be back again on the air soon. So uh, have a great day. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.